The Mind Spo Podcast. What do you see with your mind's eyes? Welcome back. Let's elevate. Roll your shoulders up and back. Unclench your jaw. Elongate your spine as you take a deep breath in. And now, exhale. Now take your mind to that person, place, or thing that you have gratitude for and start to feel into the joy available to you at all times. Elevate into a higher vibration as we expand together and dive in to this conversation. Welcome to the Mindspo podcast. My name's Rochelle Fox, and I am so excited to have you here for our very first episode Now, if you are new here, you might not know that Mindspo is not new. (laughs) We are new on the podcast scene, but we've been around for a while. We kicked off Mindspo in 2016, and we have a really big story of how Mindspo came to be, who we are, what we do, what we're going to do in the future, and so much more. So today, to kick off the Mindspo podcast, I wanted to introduce you to my partner in crime, my partner in business, my best friend, and most importantly, my fiance, Christopher Sol. Hey, hey. So Chris is the other half of Mindspo. He is the other founder of Mindspo, and we founded Mindspo in 2016. And on this podcast, there is going to be so many exciting segments. And one of those segments that you are going to hear on a regular basis is something we like to call deep dives with the souls. This is where we are going to dive into life, relationships, spirituality, all the things that we talk about when no one's around, but this time we're going to be recording them. And we thought to kick things off, if you are new here or maybe you've followed us for a while, I really want to share our story, our story of how Mindspo came to be. And the story of how Mindspo came to be is one of pain to purpose. This wasn't just some idea that we had one day. We're like, ooh, wouldn't it be fun to start a meditation school? This was a deep soul calling and something that came from a lot of pain, a lot of pain in my life, a lot of pain in soul's life. And through that pain, we have birthed something so beautiful and something that we are so proud of and something that has created what we are now experiencing today. And we want to take you on that journey with us and really share with you our origin story and hopefully inspire you that if you are maybe in a dark place or you have been in a dark place and you just feel like nothing is going to work out, if you've been in that victim mentality, if you feel like you know you are just kind of dealing with the weight of the world and you can't see a way out, then this podcast episode is for you because believe it or not, we really can relate to those feelings. So to kick that off, I just want to say hi, Sol. Hey, baby. <laughs> Welcome. Um, I'm so excited to have you here. And I'm so excited to dive into this story. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah. This podcast has been a, a long time coming, and I know it's a, a deep soul's calling for you. And I think you are absolutely made for for this format. So I'm very excited to, you know, bring bring the conversations we usually have in the shower or in the bedroom, you know, whenever whenever we're doing whatever we're doing to a, a broader audience because I, I love our chats and we we have very deep chats pretty much every single day. So, you know, why not why not share some of those? Yeah, I'm so excited. Yeah. So I guess to kick things off, uh, this story of Mindspo and of Sol and I really goes all the way back to childhood. So let's dive into the pain. 
So I want to start with my childhood. So I would say I first experienced pain as a human being in the format that we're going to be talking about today when I was five. At the age of five, my parents had just divorced and my mother had gotten custody of me. And although my mother has recovered now and she's doing amazing, uh, back then she was an alcoholic and she was a not in a good place and not probably in the, the best place to be looking after a child, let alone having her in her custody. And my mom made some not so great choices as we all do as human beings, we make mistakes. And some of those mistakes led to me having some pretty intensely traumatic experiences. I never really gone into the absolute specifics of my personal childhood trauma. And I don't know when I will. That's been a very personal choice for me ever since I have moved through the things that I've gone through. It's something that I have just decided to keep to myself for now. One day I feel I'll open up about it, but I guess what I want to say in this podcast is that my mother was not in the best way and she had some pretty shitty boyfriends and those partners and boyfriends did some pretty horrific and horrible things that are unspeakable and I, you know would never wish on anyone else. And those things and those events led me to developing what I now know as PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. Back then, I, I didn't know that. And all these terrible and horrific things happened to me as a kid. And I kind of just kept them on the down low. I really suppressed my emotions and my trauma so much throughout my life. And not only did it happen when I was five, but it happened, you know, multiple times and different events happened multiple times that were extremely traumatic um, through my childhood years. And all of that trauma led me to, you know, developing this post-traumatic stress disorder, which really kind of started to unfold when I became sexually active in, you know, my mid-teens. From that point, I started experiencing intense flashbacks, uh, panic attacks, uh, an eating disorder, bulimia, anxiety, depression, you name it, I had it. <laughs> I was a mental health mixed bag and all of those things kind of started cascading. But one thing about me that has always been uh, how I've dealt with things is I'm a, a really good actress. <laughs> when I was growing up, I always used to say I want to be an actress. And I think I wanted to be an actress because that's what I was already doing. I was so good at putting on a brave face and pretending everything was okay. That was really where I excelled in life. You would look at me and look back at photos of me and think, oh my God, she's so happy. She's this you happy-go-lucky child. Like, look at her. She's so vibrant. But that was just my mask to hide so, so, so much pain. And from there, I things kind of started to get worse. And then in my early 20s, things really kind of kicked off. We're talking, you know, going into panic disorder now, having panic attacks super, super regularly. Um, I'm kind of a shell of myself. I'm kind of having a bit of a split personality. I'm you know, pretending everything's okay. I, I, I just was kind of falling apart, but no, no one would ever know that. The eating disorder kind of, you know, really tipped off and yeah, <laughs> things just kind of started cascading. And it was around that time when things were really, really bad with my mental health that I also started experiencing, you know, suicidal thoughts, like very intense suicidal thoughts and also suicidal planning and tendencies. And I was really ready to end it all. I didn't want to I didn't want to be on this earth anymore because the pain that I was experiencing and the flashbacks that I was having and the things that were going on in my head, they were really too much to bear. 
and I had dealt with them and carried them around for years. I had lugged this baggage around for years and it was just getting too much for me to carry. And then I met Sol. Uh, but first, let's go into Sol's childhood because I feel like that will bring it full circle. First, I just want to say thank you so much for for being so vulnerable, babe. I mean, I obviously know all of this stuff, but I know it's a huge step for you to actually open up and to let a broader audience hear this. And I know that so many people go through so many things in this world and think that they're alone. And I think it's a really, really brave and courageous thing, you know, that you're sharing that. Love you. Thanks. I love you too. <laughs> so, um, yeah, for, for myself, I, um, I was born in Australia, in Sydney, but uh, my family is actually from Germany. My entire family tree is basically over, over there. It's just me and my mum, my stepdad and my sister here. And I went to a preschool in Sydney that was for Germans, believe it or not. They have that here. So I was in a little German bubble living in Sydney. Hello. Guten Tag, me kids. <laughs> German is actually my first language, but I, I've managed to assimilate quite well. And it, you know, I had a pretty normal childhood, I think I imagine. It was, it was just kind of suburban life and epping, you know, two, two children, two parents. And when I was five, the decision was made to move back to Germany so that my mom could be closer with the rest of the family, etc. Now, obviously, I'm five years old. I've got no idea that anything else might be going on. I'm thinking everything's totally sweet. And we packed everything up. We flew back over to Germany. And I think it was around the second day or so when we got back that a a neighbor or a friend had gone around to our house to check on my dad. My understanding was that my dad was basically packing up, selling the car, getting rid of the house, you know, just organizing all those last logistics. But basically these these people went around to the house and then they'd found my dad in the garage and he'd committed suicide. So, you know, when you're 5 years old, your memory is very fragmented. I have a very vivid memory of being in the attic at my grandma's house, just basically wailing and trying to understand what all of this means. And then, you know, like life, life goes on. And for me, I think I just repressed a lot of this uh, in my family. There's not too much open communication, too much emotional communication. There's a lot of, um, what in German is called uh, Nachkriegskinder syndrome, which means really just white knuckling it through existence, you know, pulling it together and just carrying on. And for me, it was more just, you know, in my schooling, obviously kids bully each other. That's just standard. And it would only be when somebody would make a crack about like, you know, oh, like F your father or something, not knowing that there was maybe a broader story that like my my shadow my repressed emotions would come up and I would just go into a fit of rage life goes on and for me uh I dealt with it and I I don't know I kind of just stored it away as well and I guess for me it just gave me an awareness that mental health is a thing and and if somebody is suicidal not to take that lightly because People do go all the way, uh, which I understood at a very early age. And so then, you know, fast forward to, I think I was 26, which is when I went into a nightclub in King's Cross one night <laughs> and to a model, model party that I designed the nightclub flyer for. Everybody was two feet taller than me. 
It's just me and the the promoter who are all just looking at all these tall gazelle human beings, and one of them was you. I was living in King's Cross at the moment with my mother. Um, moved out of my dad's place, moved back in with my mom in my early 20s, and I live right next to this nightclub. My um, my DJ partner at the time was convinced me to come upstairs. All of a sudden, I'm in this like gazelle kind of party, and apparently you saw me from across I the room. I spotted you from across the room, <laughs> and I was like, that is the most beautiful woman I have ever seen, uh. and you are miles out of my league, but somehow, somehow I managed to make contact with you. And somehow we ended up being in contact again a few days later. It's a whole nother story. It's a whole nother. We'll do a whole episode of our story because it is pretty funny. But, um, you know, fast forward about two months, three months of, of back and forths and friend zone and conversations, late night texting and everything else. I'd gone to Europe, I came back, and I remember you said, you know, if you move to the city, I'll live on your floor. And I took that as like, okay, when I come back, I might just move into the city. And so I did. The first day I arrived from Europe, I actually went on realestate.com.au, found an apartment, checked it out on the first day, sleep deprived, and uh, and signed the lease that day. And so you started coming around to my little studio apartment in Potts Point, and you know, I was noticing that there was this this up and down kind of going on with you. You you would come to mine and you would be happy and present and you'd be like this little flower that would open up, but then you would go back home, you'd go up the road to your mom's apartment, which is very dark and small, and your mom was obviously also going through a lot at the time, and you would just kind of close up and you just turn into this little dark bulb again. I noticed this just kind of this constant changing in your in your emotions. And I think it was after about two months that I essentially like had enough of this. I was like, look, whatever, like, just let's just go get your stuff and just move in with me, you know, screw it. And so I remember we packed up, you know, your pile of stuff up in this tiny little room up the road. And suddenly we were both sitting in the studio apartment together. Now, at the time, I was a freelance graphic designer. You were blogging, presenting, but you were basically a freelancer as well. DJing, yeah. Um, which also mean- means that you're spending all day with together. And when you do that, when you're spending all day working from home together, you really see all sides of someone. And the thing that I noticed quite quickly was that you were wearing a mask quite often. There was there was a mask and there was stuff going on behind behind the mask that was slowly revealing itself over the the, the weeks and months that we were together. Um, in particular at night when you would fall asleep, I would see just night terrors almost every single night. You would wake up in, in a fright in the middle of the night and, and, you know, I'd just be soothing you back to sleep. And, you know, I think it took about three months of us living together until one day when things got really bad, you know, you, you opened up to me and you started telling me some of the things that happened to you when you were younger, which took me totally by surprise, because you're so good at hiding these things. And at the time, there was still a huge stigma around mental health, you know, abuse, all these things, which is people were still kind of storing that stuff away in a, in a drawer somewhere, not to, not to ruin the dinner party, you know. And I just, you know, I noticed that you were just dealing with so much anxiety. You would like little moments would happen, text messages, interactions, worries about some potential future scenario, and your your nervous system would just go off the Richter. And I I realized like this this wasn't normal, you know, and you would go you would have these bouts of depression that would last for like a week or two. And, you know, I started 
trying to come up with little plans and, you know, we made like phone backgrounds with a five-step plan for what to do. Wait, we need to say so literally. Basically, we went into experimental mode where Sol was Mr. Fixer and I was the project, which probably isn't the healthiest thing, but that's what happened. And we basically went into this experimental zone to try and fix this you know, stuff that I was going through. And one of the things that Sol did was he would make these foam backgrounds and these like Fox kind of mental health prescriptions. And they were just filled with like, okay, let's go for a walk outside. Let's play the happy song. Let's make our favorite meal. You were just so um, loving and caring. And I had never really experienced someone that had sat with me through my, my shit. Like, and I felt seen for the first time in my life really. And also loved even through the darkness and that was what was you know you can you can thank my mom a lot for that because i i have a very strong german mother while she may not be the most emotionally open i'll tell you what if the if the going gets tough the tough gets going as she says she just rolls up her sleeves and and go and like gets it done and i think at the time you know when you told me what you'd actually gone through it was kind of like there was this moment where I remember I had like some friends who I was talking to about the challenges that I was dealing with. Cause these days, having done personality tests, I know that I'm an, I'm an extroverted feeler. I feel other people's stuff. Right. And so when you would go over the, the, the falls and go into these bouts of depression, I wouldn't be okay either. I wouldn't be okay until you're okay. And that's kind of like a superpower as well, but it can also be very, very taxing and draining. And. I had got all these mix, all this mixed advice from people who had no idea about mental health. They hadn't even, hadn't even spent any time with you. And, you know, there was, there was some people who were like, oh, this sounds way too hard, you know, like, oh, I don't know, maybe you should find somebody else. And there was this moment where, you know, we both just kind of decided like, okay, you know what? At least I know I decided in my head, like, all right, let's just, let's just figure this out. Like, we're going to, we're going to fix depression. We're going to fix suicidal thoughts. Like, that's it. We're going to figure this out. And, you know, this is 10 years ago. This is 2011. So step one, you Google, how do you solve mental health? And you get a whole bag of, of solutions from, from uh, Google. And we honestly spend about 18 months going through a laundry list of different remedies and treatments and approaches. We were- Sol was so pragmatic. You literally wrote a list and we yeah. were just going through and you know, some of these things on this list were legal, some of them were illegal, some of them were conventional, some of them were very unconventional. We were just kind of on this mission to figure out how can I not just survive, but actually thrive and get through this. And this was this massive, you know, chapter of experimentation. We're doing this while we're living in a shoebox apartment in King's Cross. Yep. We literally had like the toilet was like right next to our head as we sleep. We're like in one room 24-7 together. Five square meters. Oh my gosh. I'm having panic attacks like every single, you know, Once second. Once a week. Yeah. Like, About, yeah. Uh, but, but so so we're on this journey together. Yeah. And, uh, you know, sometimes things would get really bad. And there was one time in particular where we went – you know, things got really bad and you were like, I think I just need to go and see a doctor. Like, let's just try to, you know, you, you, you just buy into this, the promise of the system and just go and see some dude in a white coat. And uh, they prescribed you immediately the most generic SSRI. And at the time you had been taking some kind of natural remedy as well that we'd found online. You started feeling very weird. 
I remember. And then you got on the phone and you called somebody who you knew had quite a lot of knowledge in all these different uh, medications. And they said, oh, like, you're not meant to take those two together. And so then you stopped taking both of them at the same time. And the next thing, which you're apparently also not meant to do, and next minute you're in the corner of the apartment pulling out your hair, screaming, having a full-blown psychotic episode while I'm standing in front of our very large window to make sure that you don't jump out of it, out of the fourth floor. That was kind of a turning point for me as well, where I thought, all right, I'm, I'm, we're going to need to get very creative here, I thought, and we're going to need to paint outside the lines to figure this out because yeah. just dosing you up with some kind of sedative is not going to be a long-term solution. And look, I want to say here, I think that there is a time and place for Absolutely. all of those things, and I wasn't taking them in the correct way, and I'm not going against anyone going down that path, and there's no shame to anyone, but I had a pretty horrific experience with that, and- from that, it kind of led us to this thing where like, okay, we need to figure this out in another way. We were looking for something that's going to help you for the rest of your life. Yeah. We're not just trying to get you through a, a period of um, of extreme crises to try to then find you something else. We were looking for the long term. And about a year and a half into this, um, so actually about 12 months and a bit into this, we ended up finding a childhood trauma psychologist. I found one on Google and lo and behold, law of attraction. She is literally right across from our apartment and we can see the front door to her this. office. She's the most recommended childhood trauma psychologist I could find. And her office is within view of our apartment window. I think that was the first time in my life that I ever felt like the universe or the angels were watching. And I was in such a dire spot. And I never forget, you were like, look, I found this person. And I remember when you saw that, I, no, yeah, no. Yeah. Literally, I would sit in the window and I wouldn't feel like going to these appointments. I'd be like, absolutely yeah, so not. So much resistance. And I had so much resistance to going. I was so scared. And then I was like, look, I can see the, I can see the door. I have to go. Like the barrier to entry was so, so low. Yeah. And and, you know, she asked you to basically put everything in writing yeah. to really go through all of the trauma and all of that. Well, look, I just want to interrupt with what happened there. So basically, before we went and found this person, I had gone to a bunch of psychiatrists and psychologists and counselors and every single person I'd gone to had just basically blanket and said that I had an eating disorder. Mind you, I hadn't really opened up fully and I had opened up in ways, but they were just so focused on my eating and food and my body and this was just like frustrating the hell out of me because I knew it was so much deeper than that. Like I was going, you know, I was bulimic, I was binging, I was purging. There was all of that stuff going on on top of but all But they were just this. symptoms. They were just symptoms of something deeper. And I, I knew that deep down, but I never felt comfortable with any of these other people. And I, I felt like they were treating me like a number and they were just focusing on just like the shell of me and, and judging me in a way. I felt really shamed. There were some not so great experiences that I had with that. But then when I found this woman... There was actually something that happened that, you know, I'll get into another day maybe, but there was something that happened with Sol and I that was pretty traumatic that really triggered me in a really big way. And I kind of started freaking out. And from that, I kind of came to the decision that I really needed to tell this person that I was seeing absolutely everything. So I sat down and I wrote a letter with everything that was really going on, every single memory that I could remember. I wrote down everything and then I went into her office. And I remember I handed her the letter and I just walked in and I said nothing. And I handed, <laughs> I didn't want to go. I remember you pushed me to go. And I went in, handed the letter and we sat down and she just read it. And as she read it at the end, she just looked at me and nodded. And then there was a big 
big book that was on her table. It was there every single time I walked in, but I thought it was just a coffee table book for decoration. Next thing I know, she's flipped open the book. She gets the book. She pushes it across to me. And at the top of that book, it said PTSD. And I read the two pages that followed. And it was like reading a a definition of who I was. It was a definition of everything that was going on with me. It all made sense. It was literally like someone had being like, this is who you are. And I know at that time I was so identified with my trauma. I was so in PTSD. I was suffering from that, that that diagnosis was like someone had just done a photocopy of me and be like, is this you? Look at the reflection. I was like, yes, this is me. And I remember reading this and I, I was like, yeah, all of these things. And it, it clicked to me that I had PTSD and everything else that I was experiencing, all this mixed bag of other things was just a symptom of this bigger thing that all stemmed from my childhood. And it was all just constantly bubbling off and spilling over. And I came back home and I told you, and then you went and had a conversation with our friend, well, Julian. So the wonderful thing about you having been given that diagnosis is that we suddenly had a label that yes. we could use, direct our search towards, you know, it's like, like as Stephen Pressfield says about resistance, once you can name it, you can kill it. So at this time, you know, maybe a couple months later or something, it's all a little bit blurry around then. And I remember you were going through a really tough time again. You know, it was, there was a constant roller coaster because a lot of these things that we were trying, they would have like a little bit of an afterglow effect sometimes, but a lot of them just weren't really sustainable. And one day I went and saw a good friend of ours who we both actually knew independently before we ever even met, uh, Jules, Big Jules. Shout out to Julian. Shout Jane. out to our shaman, yep. Big Jules. <laughs> Forever our shaman. Jules, yep, we love for, you. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I mentioned to him, uh, you know, everything we've been going through, he already knew as, as well. And then I mentioned PTSD and he, I remember he just said, you know, have you tried meditation? And now he wasn't really a meditator, but he had seen something where they mentioned that people with PTSD were coming back from the war and they were doing this meditation method and it was basically stopping people from feeling suicidal. And so, you know, that absolutely piqued my interest. So I came home, we started Googling it. We started looking at all these testimonial videos of individuals who had learned meditation. I'm back in the apartment that we're in, sitting on this giant bee bag, kind of contemplating life. And I was like, okay, I'm going to look up this meditation thing. And back then, I literally thought meditation was some hippie shit. I thought it was the biggest load of shit. I thought it was super woo-woo. I thought it was something that monks just go and do on a mountaintop. Yeah, some religious thing that people do who have too much time on their hands. I was just not into it. I no. was like, mm, okay. But at this point, we have gone through this long laundry list where like one year into this, I've got given this diagnosis and I was kind of at this point where I'm like, I'll try anything. No matter what my judgment is, I'm judging all this stuff. I'll, I'll just give it a shot. I go on YouTube, I type in PTSD and I type in meditation and lo and behold, this video comes up and I'll never forget this video. I'm watching this video of this army general. This is like some huge guy. Like I'm watching this guy, like he's like super muscly, like square boxy American, like looks like something like Arnold. Jocko Willick looking motherfucker. No, I'm, think I'm like Arnold. Like this guy's like Schwarzenegger, oh, right? Oh, really? That yeah. big? He's like in my mind, like from my memory, I wish I could find the video one man day. Man mountain. He's a man mountain, right? I'm watching this guy and he gets up on stage on this podium and he starts talking about, how his friend had committed suicide that he was in Iraq with and that, you know, he thought he was going to do that as well. But then he found this thing called meditation and it saved his life. And I'm looking at this guy and I'm thinking, 
yo, this is not who I think is doing meditation. Like if this guy, like if this guy, and he's been to Iraq and he's being in war and he is like, gone through this thing and he has this thing called PTSD because back then PTSD was really not something like I think these days and uh, don't get to me getting annoyed about this but a lot of people like oh you have PTSD from this people kind of throw it around throw it around like back then it was like if you've it wasn't really even related to childhood trauma really people were just talking about it in terms of people that had been to war so they were the only people that I could really find that I could have any research or recommendations on and I'm looking at this guy and I'm thinking you know if this if it works for this guy you know what I'm gonna give it a shot if it's this guy's doing it, I'll try it. So then we went and found a We've, highly We found an institute in Sydney yeah. that uh, that looked really highly accredited and recommended and celebrities were doing it and all kinds of stuff. And they had a course that took three days. It cost $1,000. Mm-hmm. Uh, which the was the last $1,000 in my bank account. all the money in Rosh's bank account. But it was literally like this thing or Rosh's life at this point because you were very suicidal. And uh, at the same time, I was super interested in this. So I'm literally researching this, watching watching videos, trying random things online while you're coming home every day for three days, teaching me what you had learned that day. And that was when we both started. We committed to a 20-minute in-the-morning mantra meditation practice. Now, I remember for me, the first time I completed a full 20-minute meditation, uh, sitting in our three-person a beanbag that we'd placed in the center of our studio Which apartment. Which took up the whole studio Literally, apartment. We had, we had like a 10 square meter space in the center of our apartment left. And rather than leave it empty, we just plopped a three-person memory foam beanbag from yep. Lovesack in it <laughs> and just filled up the rest of the space. I would but sit in it and cry. <laughs> amazing, amazing spot to meditate. And yeah. I remember the first time I actually finished a meditation, like I opened my eyes and I had never felt remotely a state of inner silence and calmness and just peace and stillness in my head, like nowhere, never in my life had I felt anything remotely like that. And so, you know, it was, it was like a fucking miracle. And all I can say is over the next few weeks, probably like, you know, probably over like four to eight weeks watching what was happening to you, Mm. it was like, 80 to 90% of all of your symptoms just melted away. I remember the first thing that melted away was the first time I meditated that next, that night, I didn't have a night terror. Yeah. And like, I was having the night terrors every single night. Like I'd wake up screaming, I'd wake up in sweats. Like I was having these PTSD flashbacks, like just, just on, on repeat. It was insane. Like I had this vivid dream that would just keep coming back and I was constantly being re-traumatized. And when I started meditating, that was the first thing that faded away. And I, I actually got a good night's sleep and I felt this like peace and th- th- this calmness. And I started getting this distance between me and this voice. And the thing that was so prevalent in my life was I have had this voice, <laughs> the voice inside my head that has been so loud, that has told me to do horrible things to myself, that has literally tried to drive me into the grave. And I had been listening and identifying and believing everything that this voice thought. And then through practicing meditation and through what I would like to call my spiritual awakening, I realized that it's just a voice. It's not me. Thoughts are just things. I don't have to believe everything that I think. And I actually can observe that voice inside my head and I can watch it. And if I can watch it, it means that I'm not it. It means there's two of me. And that awareness, that aha moment, that that clarity. That uncoupling of yeah. needing to believe every thought as if it's the truth taking, and realizing you have an option. Yeah. Taking that out was just 
everything started to fall it was in everything. place. And I, I, I started having this completely different experience of life. I wasn't just surviving. I started thriving. I started getting excited about life. I, I started lo- looking forward to waking up in the morning and then doing my meditation. And there started to be this very, very clear distinction between me that meditated and me that didn't meditate. And that was really when we sort of went all in with meditation and meditation became my medication. It was the every single day, this is what I'm going to do a non-negotiable. And so was my accountability buddy. We were just doing it and showing up for it. Now, at the time we started meditating, we started having, like I said, our spiritual awakening. We went off the freaking (laughs) reservation. We started diving into every single personal development book under the sun, watching every single YouTube documentary that was out there, you know, reading every single book that we could. We were absolutely trying to just download everything. And at the same time, everyone was calling us crazy. Everyone thought that we were nuts and that we were, you know, gone super woo-woo and we were two hippies. Yeah, we were just changing a lot. Lots, like so over the course of like six to 12 months, I feel like my my brain completely reconfigured itself because I was running on just this repeat pattern of who I thought I was, you know, and this is just who I am. These are my beliefs about myself. And then when you actually start to sit down for 20 minutes every single day and you start to watch your mind rather than just playing with it, rather than just going along with it, but you actually just try to observe it and not be caught up in it, Mm -hmm. you start to get a sense of who you think you are. And then I started just asking myself, like, is this who I am? Like just these bunch of random triggered thoughts, self-belief issues and one-liners from 1980s action movies. And then you're like, you know, I have to be more than this. And it's, it was, it was like forcefully opening your own mind and questioning everything, which then opens you up to everything. So I guess I want to go. So that's, let's, let's forward from here because we could here. keep going on this forever. But basically, we, we had this awakening. I say 2012 was this huge kind of aha moment. And basically, there was from there, we became meditation evangelists. So setting the scene, Soul's working in the nightclub district. I'm also working in the nightclub district. I'm a DJ, presenter, radio presenter for Today, Today FM, uh, model, blogger, slashy. I was doing every, absolutely everything and you know putting on a really good act while doing it all, pretending that there was nothing going on. And we were, you know, in these really kind of fast industries. And at the time, I just remember I would go to, I was DJing for the likes of Calvin Klein and Nike and Swiss Vitamins. I was manifesting the coolest gigs. I was, you know, starting my manifestation journey. We were reading all about the law of attraction. We were applying it. We started making manifestation movies, which we'll get into later in the episode about where that ended us. But we, you know, we, we started kind of just becoming meditation salespeople with nothing to sell. We were literally evangelists talking about this all the time. I'd be DJing, meet someone at a gig and they'd be standing next to me requesting a song and like kind of chat me up. And then it'd be like, make a comment about, oh, well, you know, I'm going to have the, the Sunday scaries or like the Monday, whatever. And I'd be like, oh, you know, you, you get anxiety. Like, yeah, I get real bad anxiety. This is freaking me out. I'd be like, amazing. Have you heard about meditation? You should really try meditation. So it's this thing. If you sit down, you do it with mantra and you repeat it let's do it right now (laughs) literally we would we would be teaching and sharing this with absolutely everyone so we were doing this between 2012 and 2015 we are on this meditation train we're just practicing it showing up i'm going through this massive healing you know we're in the early stages of our relationship i feel like our lives had just started again and then something happens around 2015 one day I was at my friend Sam Evans' house and it was New Year's Eve. And it was, I think it was the uh, New Year's Eve of 2015. And basically I saw this video. I was on YouTube 
going through all the personal development videos like I usually do. That was my binge watch thing that I did. And I came across this video by a man called Brian Tracy. Now, Brian Tracy is what I would like to say is the god godfather of personal development. I love this man. I send him so much love as I say his name right now. And I watched this video from Brian Tracy. And the the point of this video, he had this question. And it's like, knowing what you know now, if you had to do it all over again, what would you do differently? If you could take it all to ground zero and you could start again, what would you do differently? And it's New Year's Eve. So obviously I'm like, okay, New Year's energy. And then this voice comes to me. And this is a voice that had started coming to me ever since I started meditating. And this voice is my intuition. And this voice was, quit DJing, become a meditation teacher. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, what is that? What kind of advice is that? At the time, I'm making thousands of dollars per gig, you know, DJing. I'm on easy street. I've carved out a, a market my, for myself in the PR kind of industry Playing in the same set um, in it's, 4 um, p.m., yeah, you know, eating some canapes. D- D- DJing with my, my mate. You know, we're, we're, we're on easy street. It's pretty easy. It's great. I'm doing the social media thing. What? Become a meditation teacher? But I've been listening to this voice ever since I started meditating and it has not led me astray. So next thing you know, two days later, I've called my DJ partner. I've called off DJing. I've quit the duo. Didn't really give her much explanation thinking back to it. It was just a split, you know, hair decision. You know, things were going on with us as well, but it was like, nah, that's it. I'm out. Clean cut. And then it's like, oh, you're going to become a meditation teacher. So I enroll in a meditation school in Sydney. I start studying, but I've been studying this stuff. Sol and I have been studying this stuff and being students of this stuff for five years. So I had read every book under the sun. I'd watched every video under the sun. Like I had been, you know, developing these skills for so long. So I've, you know, now enrolled in a course to become a meditation teacher. Then we start traveling. We basically, at the time that I've decided I'm going to have this massive career change, we're in a very lucky situation where there's a whole nother story here, but we had started an e-com business and the e-com business was called I Am New Collective. You'll get a pattern from listening to this podcast that basically anything we've ever done has very been like conscious based. Uh, so we had this awareness one day when we're in our little apartment that I am you, you are me, we are one, everyone is the same. That's from us listening to a lot of Alan Watts. And so we're like, oh, what are we going to call our brand? I am you. And we're selling metallic temporary tattoos. So, so I'll tell you more about that. Yeah. So, I mean, at the time I was, I just wanted to stop selling my time by the hour and I wanted to create something that could also be sold at night while I'm asleep. I wanted to create something that we could, you know, ship all over the world, an artifact. And at the time you actually recognized, I think we spent like six months trying to figure out like, what could this thing be by, by our shaman jewels who kind of kicked this, this whole train of thought off. And in the end, we decided to create a metallic temporary tattoo brand, which is what, uh, at the time, 2015, all the people at festivals were sticking these temporary tattoo stickers on themselves. It was going off Coachella vibes. Yeah. And so we made these like sheets that had all like positive affirmations and spiritual symbols and all kinds of stuff. And then people were sticking them all over their faces and going to parties. And we started and leveraging influencer marketing. Yeah, we, so we collabed with Mimia Sherry, DJ Tiger Lily, PR. We made these collections with these influencers. Yeah. So we, we partnered with some influencers and, we launched it and I remember the moment we, we put it on uh, Google Analytics on our, on our living room TV and the moment we launched it, like sales just started pouring in. And I believe in like the first month, I think we had about $30,000 worth of sales, which was just wild. And so by month two or month three or something, we figured out how to automate the whole thing and put it into a third-party logistics company. 
at the time we were looking around at our apartment in Darling Point and Airbnb was still kind of like growing. It was just start, you know, it's like, wow, you could rent random apartments in random cities around the world. And we were looking at these apartments being like, this costs less than our apartment in Darling Point. So like, why don't we just pack up and just start traveling and just see the world while we make money online? And so then we took off for about a year and became uh, what's called a perpetual traveler. Yep. Digital nomad before digital nomads yep. are around. I was running a fashion blog at the time called Wonder Life TV and a fox at meows. We're taking, you know, pretty photos, doing hotel collabs, still keeping on the meditation train. I also was writing these things called my favorite thing about my fashion blog back then was these things called happiness posts where I'd literally take every single Monday and I would just literally write about spiritual topics and meditation. No one really wanted to hear about it, but I was like, you know what? If I wear really cute clothes, slipping it. But then I slip it in with a text. Maybe then someone will get interested in meditation. Like we are literally meditation evangelists. Like it was hilarious. And then, so we did that for a year and then we kind of got over the traveling stuff. We wanted to settle down. I was very much like, I need to rest and chill. So we actually moved to the Gold Coast. We found a Airbnb again in Coolangatta. It was meant to just be a month, but by the end of the month, we were like looking around. We're like, why would we leave? Oh my God, the beach is here. Incredible. There was this amazing dog that the lady who owned the apartment had. Tyson. Who was just hanging out with us all day. Yeah. So we kept extending it one month at a time. In the end, we stayed there for 14 months, but this was also the place, I think halfway through that time, is when you had another cosmic download, which was? So- Basically, this is where Mindspo started. So we have been on this meditation train for a while now. We've been practicing for around six years. And then I have this download where I'm watching YouTube all the time. I've started my own YouTube channel. I'm doing YouTube. And there is this thing called Fitzmo that is absolutely blowing up. So across the internet and Instagram, like everyone's talking about Fitzbo, hashtag Fitzbo, 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 Fitzbo. And I was like, oh my God, can everyone please stop fucking talking about their bodies? Like literally everyone is talking about their bodies and exercise and food and like everyone's turning vegan. I was so exhausted by this, but also interested in it. It was weird. I kind of had this love, hate judgment relationship with this hashtag because on one end I was like, wow, this is wellness. But on the other end, I was like, this is only like half. What about the mind? I was like, this is only half of the problem. Like you can... (laughs) I had known from, you know, going through my eating disorder and everything that like you can, you know, look like a million dollars and be like the skinniest, leanest, hottest looking thing that you think's walking around. But hey, if it's hell inside your mind, then guess what, baby? You're in hell. Does not matter what you look like. Self-love comes from within. What you change on the outside will not change your conversation on the inside. And I knew this loud and clear. So, you know, we kind of came to this realization of, you know, we want to talk about meditation. We want to get this out. Like, how could I, you know, get meditation out there in a bigger way? And we've been selling these tattoos all around the world. And I came up with this idea of Mindspo. It was the opposite of Fitzbo. It was this hashtag. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to start hashtagging things Mindspo. I'm going to write about depression and anxiety and mental health and meditation and hashtag Mindspo. So I started this hashtag called Mindspo. No one had ever tagged on Instagram before, and I just started hashtagging it. Then I'm like, you know what? This isn't just a hashtag. This is an at tag. I'm going to make a second account, and I'm going to post all my woo-woo, hippie, spiritual shit that everyone's always bagging me out about. I'm going to go hard and just post it on there. And guess what? You can't say anything about it. So next thing you know, we start this account called Mindspo, and then I go to Seoul. Firstly, Sol kind of loved to hate the name. He was like, I don't know about it. I was like, but this is the thing. This name came to me through source, through my divine. Like this was a voice, the voice again, intuition. And then I said, you know what, Sol? 
why don't we make a course? Why don't we make a meditation course where we literally teach people how to meditate? I've become a meditation teacher and I hadn't figured out how to do it. We were traveling and moving around all the time. We considered ourselves as expats. So the idea of like teaching in person or like, you know, creating a in-person space just seemed really unrealistic. But then having this awareness of, you know, online, I was like, wait, why don't we just take, you know, what we've done and put it online so we can teach anywhere anything. Yeah. And we'd got, we'd gotten really good at the time at explaining meditation in new ways because we realized there was just this huge need to get people to take another look because I knew, I, I remember what I thought before I was 26. Like I'd seen, you know, images of Buddhist monks. I'd seen stuff in the Simpsons and South Park. We were and so all this, skeptical. You, you know, you, you see these different movies and they'll like, they'll make fun of some monk for three seconds. You know, somebody dresses up as them and it's, it's always done in this ridiculous manner back then, especially. And so we were like, okay, who's actually teaching meditation? Without the spiritual decoration, which we personally love, we we're, we're all about it. it. And we have so much, like, so much respect for the roots of meditation. But this is the thing. This was the, the barrier that everyone was having with Absolutely. practice. Because like 90% of people at the time, if you started speaking to them too much about the spiritual side of meditation, no, they, would, they would instantly be like, yeah, yeah, this is what I already believe that this isn't really for me. Yeah, and they would, just, they would just shut off. So we would almost try to talk about meditation without even mentioning the word. We would be like, hey, you know, that there's this mental optimization technique that helps clear the cache inside your brain. So I would go around and be like, I, can I teach can you Can I teach a you tactical thinking? No, so I would be like, can I teach you a mental trick? Yeah, like the way yeah, that yeah. you used the to go to trick. people. I've got a mind trick for you. It's going solve 99% of your problems. So we really realized that like, who was talking to these people? Who's talking to the mechanic? Who's talking to the finance bro? Who's talking to the 16-year-old kid who's got mad anxiety, who thinks all the spiritual stuff has got nothing to do with him, but who needs it more than anyone? What happened with Mindspo, all of that, and for me, it was who was talking to the girl that I was five years ago that was obsessed with shoes, handbags, looking hot, getting skinny, what they look like on the outside, thinking that so like fixing all this stuff on the outside was going to solve all their problems. But really it was an internal thing that was going on. Like who was speaking to them? Who was getting this practice to them? And that was where we came up with Mindspo. And Mindspo was this idea to basically take this decoration, take all of this fanciness and make it more pragmatic. Yeah. And so we, we mapped out all of the stories and the insights that we could think of. We really tried to boil down all the stuff that you would need to know. And ideally you knew before you started meditating in order to have the highest level of success, because there are a lot of little pitfalls and, and misconceptions that people have. And so we mapped out this course structure. We'd made it a four-week thing where we went from five minutes to 10 to 15 to 20 by week four. Then we wrote scripts for everything. Then we set up a filming space in the living room. I then went to uh, cash converters and bought an old flat screen TV, got a vacuum cleaner cardboard box that I cut a hole out of, got a picture frame with like a glass picture frame and angled it. And I basically created a ghetto ass teleprompter. The most ghetto teleprompter. I then put the scripts into Photoshop on a black background with white text, mirror reversed it. And then I moved it with my mouse, rolling it slowly whilst filming through the back of the vacuum cleaner box. And then Rochelle could basically read the reverse text on the reflection. Okay. And it was frustrating, but we got it. This all while we had a flatmate that was going through some stuff as well and then oh we won't get into that oh let's not and go then, into that but then on, and then on top we had this massive development downstairs so we were doing everything at night we were filming doing the whole entire meditation course at like 10 o'clock at night yeah we're doing it in the middle of the night filming it at night we're both tired but we're like yeah we're gonna do it 
Anyway, we created this meditation course, yes. the Mindspin Meditation Method. It's upgraded a lot since then. Then and we made a, a launch piece of content where we roped in our other flatmate and we basically filmed this story, which was basically Rochelle's day with and without meditation. It was a split screen, 60 second ad. And you would see like when one she meditates and one she doesn't. And then you see all these tiny little differences. Like it looks the same, but slightly different. Like one, she slams the car door. The other one, she slowly closes it. You know, one, she's sitting at the beach, chilling, and then goes for a swim. The other one, she's just scrolling the phone. Then she uh, she sees this guy, and in one, she's too awkward and anxious to say hi. In the other one, she says hi, and that's our flatmate. He becomes the romantic interest in this ad. Shout out to Sunny. Shout out to Sunny River. And then um, at the end, the final clip was like her lying in bed scrolling on the one where she didn't meditate. And the other one, she gets a text message from the guy being like, you know, sweet dreams are beautiful or something. <laughs> and then anyway, this thing goes absolutely viral. Uh, we ended up boosting the post a little bit, but it ended up having 3.2 million views. And there were basically 20,000 messages, like comments below, which was all just women saying, so what you're saying is if I meditate, I'll get the D. <laughs> and But either way, it turned into like literally 100 people or something signing up on the first month. Yeah, so we-, we, we Kicked it off with a big bang. We started the Mindsome Meditation Method, the first iteration of the course. It's changed a lot since yes, then. Now it we has. have a 66 day meditation challenge and an upgraded course. And we'll probably upgrade yeah, it again. We filmed the whole thing. It's, a, it's had many evolutions. But basically, from there, I started getting these messages, these messages from people all around the world that were doing this course. And the messages would just move me to tears every single night. I would go on email and I would read all these messages from our students and I would just connect with these people that had been through similar things that I had been through that had, you know, been through relationship troubles. And I I remember there were a few girls even who said that they were literally about to end their life. Yeah. And then they found, they saw a random ad, they did the course. And then this was now like a month or two or six later. And they were like, Oh my God, I'm like, I'm living my best life. Yeah. And right before I saw your thing, I was about to end it. Yeah. And so that just, you know, for me, that's a a huge tick for. Yeah. Well, when you think about where we came from, for the reason why we started all this, like everything when it comes to Mindspo was born from all this pain. So we've got this Mindspo meditation method. Mindspo started, it started taking on a life of its own. We've got this Instagram. And kind of what happens from there is we start growing. So we start developing as people and Mindspo has turned not just into a meditation platform, but it's turned into a platform for personal growth. And our mission has always been and will always be to make tools like meditation cool, relatable, fun, make them accessible to people and and really bring that excitement to this kind of learning and to make them relatable so anyone can get it. And From there, we really kind of went on this adventure of trying to figure out like what's next. And what we did next was we actually combined our other love, which was our love of traveling, living on the road, being a nomad, which, you know, really bleeded into our manifestation story. And then we created something called Mindspo Retreats. So Mindspo Retreats is the retreat arm, the holiday arm of Mindspo. And it's a combination of personal growth which has changed our life in so many ways, and travel and really taking people on an immersive experience. And at Mindspo Retreat, we create conscious experiences that help people elevate their personal growth. So people come to these retreats as complete strangers from all around the world, and they come together with other people that have curious minds and open hearts, and they go through these personal growth programs. They learn meditation. And we did our first retreat in 2018 in Mykonos, and it was called our Create Your Reality Retreat. 
we went on a trip to Mykonos and I'd manifested that trip. And next thing you know, I had this photo. Um, actually, it was so funny. I had this photo of me at the resort. We held the retreat that we hosted at the resort that we went to. It was so synchronistic. I had this picture of me when I just kind of written happiness above my- On a big whiteboard and yep. it was the cover graphic for one of your happiness posts. Yep. I was in a bikini with the words happiness because that's what I was manifesting, happiness. And that was like what I was- For me, my beginning of my manifestation journey has always been about my mental health. It hasn't been about materialistic things. It's always been about feelings because I know that it doesn't matter what you get in your life. At the end of the day, what's going on in the inside is what's important. So it's always been about manifesting freedom, happiness, fulfillment, because I know that that is just going to affect everything else. So next thing you know, we're hosting this retreat and then I have a picture of me sitting in a bikini again with all of these people from around the world that have written all of their words and they've actually come on our retreat. Now, from that retreat, I actually got a massive download. I'll never forget when I told you. We just hosted this retreat as a guy and girl retreat in Mykonos. I turn around to Sol and I'm like, okay, the voice has come to me again. We are hosting an all-girl self-love retreat in Bali, and this is the program. And Chris is like, is this girl crazy? He's like, what is going on? (laughs) I had this download from that voice, that intuition of a whole entire program. And for me, it was really... This retreat that I wanted to create in Bali was everything that I wish I had known in my healing journey and take people through this. So next thing you know, we're hosting a retreat in Bali. I book out this massive, you know, venue and we're having this incredible experience, you know, hosting burn ceremonies, guiding women through letting go of their trauma. And that was really like the birth of Mindspur Retreats. Yeah. And I mean, I think we, we hosted three different retreats when we kind of realized that at the time we were, we moved to Bali and we were always, we're kind of always shopping around on real estate websites. And every time I'd look for an apartment or, or a villa for us, I would simultaneously spend the same amount of time looking for like mega villas as like a manifestation practice. Now like, you're getting into the like, Mindspur Mansion have, story. Yeah. Imagine like we have infinite budget, you know? And so I was very aware of what you could get for what amount of money in Bali and that there were some amazing properties just in the middle of the jungle. And we realized that. Our retreats could be so much more if we were more in control of the space so that we weren't just like guests rolling into someone's venue. And so that's when we essentially crowdfunded a a year-long lease of an abandoned mega mansion that we renovated. And then we hosted 15 retreats in one year. There's episodes worth of, of content here that we could be sharing, <laughs> mo- battling monkeys that's a we whole did, other we story. We did one very intense year of retreats. Then we 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 said, "Hey, double or nothing. Let's roll everything back in." We reinvested. We we rented the place for two more years, and this was January 2020. And uh, and then obviously we all know what happened after that. So then we had an amazing bunker for the apocalypse in yeah. the jungle, where we ended up staying for most of it. That's that, a whole nother book. That's a whole nother book, and that was really kind of a, a really difficult time in our entrepreneurial journey because we invested all of our capital, everything. We've gone all in, but it gave birth to something very yeah. magical, which is our first ever app that we built, which is Manifesty, our meditation and manifestation app. Again, from pain to purpose. From pain to purpose. We're literally sitting there, no income, trying to figure out how to make things work, scrabbling all together. Needing to pivot. Not Everyone's telling us, fire all your staff, let everyone go. We've got 12 Balinese staff. We're like, absolutely no way, white knuckling. We're not going to fire our staff. We're going to keep everyone employed. We need to. They have children to look after. Everyone's losing their jobs in Bali. 
everyone in the world's freaking down, locking out. We're in this giant mansion trying to figure out what is going on. Beautiful, but also scary and isolating. And very and weird. Very weird. And uh, that's when we started, you know, hey, creating. An amazing time to, yeah. to start a new venture. And then this is now. Literally. I never forget. At the Mindsbury Mansion, we had all of these windows that looked out on the jungle. And in the middle of 2020, Sol is a amazing graphic designer. So he started writing in. I, what- got, I got Posca markers, which are like water soluble graffiti markers. And we just started writing positive affirmations on all of the windows. So everywhere you would look, you would just see these reminders that would essentially just trigger positive thoughts, you know? We had affirmations like, I am a creator, I am powerful, I have a multi-million dollar app, I live here, I live in the GC. Like there were all of these affirmations and statements everywhere and these reminders. So every time we'd look out the window into the jungle, into this isolation, feeling like so far away from home, we would just be filling our head with all these affirmations. And that also gave birth to a section in Manifesty, which is our affirmation reminder, which is basically having affirmations pop up in your face every single day because we knew how powerful that was. If you don't know what Manifesty is, you're going to hear a lot more about that on this podcast. It is our manifestation app. And that is where you can create what we like to call manifestation movies or vision board movies, which is a tool that we have been using for over 10 years that literally has helped us manifest so many things in our life. We have manifestation stories on that coming up. But that's really, wow, where are we now? So we launched Manifesty, our app, which is owned by Mindspo in on the 2nd of the 2nd, 2022 in Cyprus after a year of nomadic traveling during the pandemic when we left the Mindspo mansion because we were going crazy in the jungle and started traveling around. But basically, now we're in. What is the date today? It is the 23rd of March, uh, 2023. And... Right now, this is the launch of the next arm of Mindspo. This is the Mindspo podcast, and this is where we are going to be diving deep with you, with you, me, Soul, the three of us together. Every single week or every second week, we're going to have one of these episodes where we get into the past, into the present, into what's and into coming, the future, and into the future. And there is so many things that are going to be happening within Mindspo. And as you can see, we've been around since 2016. This isn't just a podcast. This is a community. This is a place. This is a home. This is a, this is a living, breathing thing that we are so passionate about. And I'm so excited to open these conversations and to have you here and to deep dive with you and to give you the best experts and find the best people to be able to help you with your own growth, with your own personal development, because that is what we have been trying to do through everything that we've done through Mindspo Retreats, Mindspo Manifesty app. We're really about helping people elevate and, you know, step into the best possible version of themselves and find their truth. So this is deep diving with the souls and we wanted to create the soul fam. And that is a place where you can connect with other people that are in the Mindspo community. This is a free Facebook group that you can get in and join connect, share, communicate, talk about the episodes. We're going to be hosting, you know, meetups, hopefully, and uh, live events in the future. That is something that I really want to do, hosting live in-person, one-day deep dive events where you can meet other people that are interested in all these different, you know, all of these different topics and that are on this journey with you that are curious about their mental health, that have open minds and open hearts. So thank you so much, Sol, for being here with me. My absolute pleasure. Thank you for... You know what? Like, just <laughs> thanks for like sticking it out. Best decision I ever made. <laughs> yeah, I really appreciate that. But I, I, I didn't know that I was ever going to find someone like you, and to be able to do this life and do this business and to 
yeah, just have this human experience with you by my side is such a such a pleasure, and I'm I'm so excited to be able to to share it with more people now. You've you've heard this many times, but I always think about that that great quote that I read once, which is too many people try to find the perfect love, mm. and not enough are there to create it. You know, and I think you and me, we've evolved and changed so many times, and I think you know one of the secrets to our the happiness and the health and longevity and stability of our relationship is that we we support each other in our evolution. It's like, I know I'm going to change many more times and I know you are going to change many more times. And so long as we just support each other in that, we're not trying to hold each other back. We're just, you know, we're, we're compromising and we're like, okay, you know, this doesn't feel perfect for me right now. Okay, but it's important to you. So I'm going to support you in that. And then let's see what happens. And uh, it just keeps things interesting. And I must say, though, any compromise we have ever made has always been from like a place of alignment sure. and a place of excitement because sure. I feel we're very much on the same path. Yeah. And I'm so happy that a little German boy yep. <laughs> met a little Australian girl yep. and um, decided to start this thing called Mindspo. Uh, back in 2016, and now I'm in 2023, wow. we decided to start this podcast finally. If you have gotten to the end of this podcast and you are still listening, it would mean the world to us if you went and shared this episode. You never know what someone's going through and who's going through what. So if this conversation has at all inspired you or sparked something within you, it would mean the world to us if you could share it. Uh, this is a new podcast. We're new in this space and we really need your help to, you know, get the word out there and to connect with other people. So, you know, do us a favor, screenshot this episode wherever you're listening to it. Um, make sure you rate, review and subscribe to us so you don't miss an episode in the future because there is so much more coming. But really how we're going to grow is through social media. So tag us online. Uh, this is at Mindspo. The Mindspo podcast is just at Mindspo on TikTok, on Instagram. And you can tag myself at Rochelle underscore Fox and Chris is. I'm at, at Chris, S-O-L-L, Chris Sol. Yeah. So tag us on your stories, do a post, write to us, let us know, tune with, in with us, communicate with us, you know, get the word out there so other people can find this podcast and you know, listen to this story and you know, kind of just start this journey with us as we go on this deep diving journey. I'm so freaking excited. I'm sending you so much love. I love you so much, Sol. And I love you, everyone that is watching. I always like to say, if you can hate someone without even meeting them, then you can love someone without even meeting them. So I'm sending you so much love. And I just want you to remember that you create your own reality. Thank you for joining me for this episode. You can discover more from Mindspo on Instagram and TikTok by following at Mindspo and myself at Rochelle underscore Fox. If this episode inspired you, then please pass it on and share the love. And if you're new to our world and you want to elevate your mind and step into your best self, then be sure to download our app Manifesty from the App Store and take advantage of the free trial. With Manifesty, you can create your own vision board movies, practice powerful meditations, and set affirmation reminders so your phone supports your journey towards that abundant vision of your future. And lastly, always remember, you create your own reality. So go and make some magic.